All right. So today on the show, we have Dr. Do you like to do you like it when people say Dr. Dr. Michelle Bolin? Not many people in my life say that. I was actually called Worcester in college. So that that like feels good when I hear that. So feel free. No. Yeah, I was gonna, I mean, you worked hard enough for it. Like, I'm going to call yes, you doctor. I'm just kidding. Yeah. All right, go for it. But no, um, thank you so much for being on the show. I know we've kind of chatted a little bit about some some interesting things, Jordan Peterson and all that right off the bat. Mm-hmm. But now that we're officially recording, if you don't mind just kind of introducing yourself, giving one the give everyone the elevator pitch, if you would. Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for having me, Kyle. I really look forward to, you know, this conversation, but also conversations moving forward. Um, so for people who aren't too familiar, my name is Michelle Bolin. Um, I currently own my own training slash fitness company called Michelle Bolin Training. And um, I came from a pretty academic background. I guess you could say it's like a typical stumble through life and figure out like what you want to do and what you don't want to do of like, I was in school. I love, love school. If I could stay in that environment, I probably would as a, as a student. Um, but I was on track to become a professor and, you know, I just absolutely, I had a few kind of adjunct teaching positions, graduate assistant. And I was like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. And prior to that, you know, I was in nutrition. So I got my undergrad in nutrition and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then I worked for a dietitian, went through kind of a few career experiences that, and I was like, uh, no, no, <laughs> let's, we're moving on. Um, and then I went to a program for strength and conditioning and then exercise physiology where I finally got my um, doctorate in. And then I went and worked at a D1 collegiate setting for strength and conditioning at Northeastern University, which is absolutely amazing. Um, And then I got an offer to be director of education at a private facility. And then the next step was basically working for myself and starting my own thing. So that's kind of where I am now. Gotcha. Jack of all trades in a way. I'm curious. I try. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious how like the, I mean, do you still, you, I'm sure you use a ton of your nutrition background, like in you the like, private setting, right? Yeah. So the program that I was in is, was very clinical. It was feeding tubes to people in hospitals and yeah. So like in diabetes and disease states. So that's probably why I don't really do a lot in nutrition. Um, I'm kind of in the mindset. I think when I was young, I probably tried to do a little bit here and there. Um, but I'm kind of in the mindset now of if I don't feel like I'm a true expert or can make a big difference in someone's life in a particular subject, I like to have like a referral basis. Um, so if someone needs nutrition, um, I usually try to partner with someone else for that. Gotcha. Okay. Is that just how, are there like separate types of like dietitian or nutrition programs at universities like that? Or like where you go more clinical or private, I guess? uh, I don't know too much, but um, I wanted to be a registered dietitian. And maybe it's just my experiences were all very clinical. I'm sure you could have gotten like an internship for your um, dietary internship at like a sports nutrition place and kind of expanded your horizons kind of in, in that way. It's just the same as like, I don't know, a physical therapy internship. Like you yeah. can kind of choose, hopefully you're in a program where you can choose. I think my just experience was more, way more clinical. Gotcha. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of because like going through physical yeah. therapy programs, it's like you get placed into a sniff or a skilled nursing facility or a hospital and then you might have another rotation, which is outpatient or something mm-hmm. like that. But no, I, I wasn't familiar with that when it came to dietitian reg- or are you registered or no, no, that you know, is like, you just cut it, it an, out. It wasn't, that was an astronomical process of like getting yeah. an internship and then going through like a whole different school set. That's like really hard to do to get your RD. Yeah. i I'm all about like trying to shorten those things as, <laughs> excuse me, as much as possible. So I, it's not fun going through the system and the, the bureaucracy at times, but I totally get it. Yeah. But I, I am curious as to, and we're just going to kind of dive 
right into this bit, especially with your experience going through, you know, academia, but trying to take this knowledge base and, you know, probably talking to anyone who's listening to this, if they're either a trainer, probably a trainer, if anyone's listening to this, if we're being honest, but, uh, but probably for anyone, but taking that plethora of knowledge and what you learned in school and then honing it down into a, a skill set into where you can look at someone and like they need x y and z and you don't even have to think twice it's just kind of like running through the motions and sort of what you have found to be beneficial in that process yeah that's actually a very interesting question um so i actually have a lot of problems with like some academic institutions or probably most academic institutions these days or it's like <laughs> most of them <laughs> most um my particular experience and I probably should just speak about that um mm. and not my overall opinion of it but I think at a very high level of academia I was in a program that the head person was someone who only wanted to hear what was coming out of his mouth. He, he didn't really want you to think outside of the box or have discussions. And overall, I think that's the one place really that should be promoting you to think and discover and explore um, and teach you how to set up ways in which to think. So, you know, I have a course now called the strategy course where I've really tried to teach people the best ways on how to do that. Like how to create, like you said, how do you make decisions? Like, do you have maybe a step-by-step process that you can kind of prompt questions to yourself to lead you in a specific like solution? Um, Do you have kind of a mind map where you take yourself through, you know, a whole process with someone that you're working with. And I think, you know, some physical therapy programs, I've actually saw that like do a great job of that. But I think that's what's probably missing from a lot of academic institutions and just basic like organizational and like learning skills. Um, So I think that's what I've probably tried to extract the most out of my experiences of like, look, everything's easier when you look back, you know, we can always like say there's problems with things, but really it's like, can you look back and find solutions moving forward? That's the only thing that matters. Um, So how can I maybe extract that and incorporate this into how I'm providing education to like trainers moving forward, right? Can I teach them ways in which to organize these skills? Because kind of like what you inferred of like, especially like this day and age, like online education is like one of the biggest mediums, right? For continuing education for professionals. And we're learning so much and there's all these like biomechanical information. And it's like, okay, like, do you have the skills to know what to do with that information and apply it and turn it into knowledge, which is, is different than information? There's an application process to that and an experience process to that. Um, and I think maybe that's that's a big gap for people, right? Taking in information and then actually like knowing what to do with it. I think too, it's when I think about fitness and even rehab in a lot of senses. I mean, at least with rehab, you get like a clinical instructor or you have some of these rotations, but fitness, it's like you take a cert or you take a test, you get a cert and then you show up at a gym and you have, you know, maybe someone who's in charge, a manager who's more concerned about sales than they are, you know, actually helping like clients and get them achieving goals. And obviously like that's important to them, but the gym's got to survive in a lot of ways. But there's a lot of, leadership and mentorship that is missing in fitness and i think with fitness it's sort of grown along with the internet and now we're finally at this point where you know because of covid like you said there's these continuing education outlets which is great and you can actually Mm -hmm. meet these people you don't have to i don't have to where are you located i'm sorry boston that's right i don't have to drive all the way up to boston to 
come hang out with you for a weekend. It's like, okay, we can actually foster this true, like you said, leadership or expedite of knowledge and how we can actually help more people. And exactly. the past 10 years, we didn't have that. It was just, it's, it's always been the wild west with fitness, yeah, right? Exactly. There's so much information out there, but now it's, we have that leadership, I think that's in place. And it makes me actually excited for the next 10 years and what can come from that. Yeah. And it's also like, obviously there's fitness information on like how to coach better and how to get results from your clients, which of course is greatly important. But like you said, in terms of like the leadership, it's also, we're also seeing a lot of like empowerment in terms of how to make more money, like how to improve sales, how to interact with people better. And I think creating better business people is actually a great help to pushing the industry forward because, you know, we need to push our price points a little bit higher because like we're worth that. And the field is just so young that we're probably not as valued as we, we could be. So I think that part of it too is actually extremely helpful. Yeah. I remember my first job at a bid box gym and it was in Seattle and I was making 25 bucks per session which I was like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, right. And then I look at how much they're charging for each individual session. And it was like a hundred bucks. So I'm getting mm-hmm. a quarter of this. I was like, I get they yes, have the gym. So but yeah, it, it's just like, but I'm the one providing the skill set. Mm-hmm. So why is it that I can't charge this much for my skill set? <laughs> like, obviously I'm here, but at the same time, like it's fitness. I could go to a park <laughs> and I, I actually did that. <laughs> I, I was just like training people at the park a lot of the times on the side and taking them. But that was something I realized really quickly. It's like, okay, there's a, but people get stuck in that mind frame and then they look at online and they're like, oh, I'll just charge 25 bucks a session online. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, but you have to have this like entrepreneur mindset, right? And you probably have that of like, okay, well, I can do it better or like, oh, I see what's going on here in terms of like how they're running things in like a good or bad way. And then your your mind is already thinking like, oh, what you can do better and how to like maybe better that in the future. And some people just don't think that way. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons I started my own thing because like I ran into kind of the same problem as you. And also too, like, especially like in academics, like there's accreditation programs where they kind of drive one profession, right? So you have like strength and conditioning programs pushing, you know, working at the pro level and collegiate setting is the the ideal, like that's when you know you're going to make it. But that's when you're working like 16 hours a day, traveling X amount of weeks per year, not making that much money at all. Like I know some collegiate programs full time who pay $30,000. I mean, it's like, why are we going through like a master's strength conditioning program to get these positions? So it's like, if we can kind of change that mindset in terms of like money that we're making, what we're worth, I think that's when we make like the biggest jumps. For sure. Well, and I tell new trainers all the time. I'm like, if you Mm -hmm. can actually get someone to adhere and you can make the behavior change of just thinking that exercise is fun and that they should do it at least three times a week, you just gave that person probably 10 years of their life. Yeah. Right. And then if you think of that- It's so hard to sell. (laughs) No, it's terrible. You can't sell that. But it's more like, I think a frame of reference, like to think about, like your own services that you're providing. You get someone that oh, wants to yeah. nickel and dime. And it's like, listen, if you really want to think about this, like if you were on your deathbed and I could offer you 10, you know, 10 years of your life, you pay anything. For sure. Right. For sure. But like you said, it's hard to sell. You can't think that far in a lot oh, of ways. Yeah. But it and especially yeah, in whole, terms of like the medical system, like we could fill right. like a huge gap with that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's a whole nother topic of discussion and it gets depressing very quick. So we're going to pivot a little Great. bit. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> no, it, again, it's just something I like to just tell people is like, listen, like this is huge. It's a huge benefit. And it's one thing that can drive you to make more money, start your own business. But it's another thing that you can do that while helping people and ensure your own health. It's kind mm. of a 
best of both world or three worlds if you want right but kind of to pivot from that um so we talked a little bit about you know taking that skill or forming a skill set and one thing i do notice with a lot of what you post and your exercise uh database that you have is that you are doing all kinds of different movements um if you want to definitely expand it expand on the database a bit, but I'm curious of your use of constraints and some of the things, if you want to define a constraint for the listeners first, but also maybe some of your favorite tools and moves that you've been playing around with. Yeah, of course. No, thank you for that. Um, Yeah, I just turned my database into like a digital online app platform. And it's just, it makes, I was talking to the guy who, you know, built it for me. And I was like, I just wrote a program in like half the time. I was like, this is insane. I was like, this is awesome. And it's basically like, you know, I have people from all over the country who I write training programs for. And, you know, if I'm programming a front foot elevated, right racks, reach, split squat, if I was them, I would read that and be like, what are you talking about? Like, what is going on? So like, I need to p- provide them visuals um, efficiently that will show them exactly what that is. Um, so yeah, just even just the name of that exercise, I would say there's just so much variation that you can put in with an exercise based on like your intent Um, what arm you want reaching, um, do you want a certain foot or side elevated, Um, what are you trying to accomplish, and the details matter with that. Um, I organize specifically the database in terms of planes of movement, Um, but then also there's kind of an implication of teaching, like what are you teaching someone, like the more slower activities, versus when are you loading someone um, and actually applying uh, like adaptations and fitness qualities. Um, So I guess my approach to that would be really, I want to teach people to be able to have skills to move from leg to leg and side to side. And that's all different types of directions um, and ways of moving. So you have to have both access to those motions, um, learn skills, and then also what we consider fitness quality improvements, like adaptations. Um, So that's kind of like my maybe mindset towards like exercise selection. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that (laughs) answered your question. Well, I guess could we like unpack those individually? Because, you know, you're in two, because you're talking about access and skill set and then adaptation and it, like that makes sense, but I guess maybe like an example. Oh yeah. And then constraints. Yeah. Sometimes I, I black out on podcasts, but. Oh, that's fine. I yeah. threw a bunch at you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on that question. Um, so, uh, so what constraint first is more probably something that's passively put in place to allow someone to accomplish a task. So for example, if I don't want someone bending to the right or dumping their weight out to the right, maybe I put my hand on their right side or right side of their hip and say, hey, don't touch my touch my hand. Or I use a foam roller to push into the wall to keep someone's position or uh, a bench in a certain incline, um, doing maybe like a chest supported row, um, or they have to reach towards a specific object. So it's like, it's put in place almost to like improve your coaching, not from a, a verbal sense or a cueing sense, but almost just like, just put this in the way and then yeah. they'll just be able to do it a lot better. Right. I, I've always thought of it too. It, I think of like an amoeba, you know, and how like an amoeba moves and it kind of like puts half of its body and reaches out and then it pulls itself. It's That's like, a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And well, like, it's weird to think of the body as that in some way, you know, you put your foot out and then you take a step, but it's, I guess a constraint to me is like, how can I put like a little box around that amoeba so that it goes yeah, one yeah. direction? 
in comparison. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah, and it's almost like this, it's more, in, in some ways, I think it's a little bit more external because like a reference right. would probably be a little bit more internal. Right. Well, and I think it too, it just makes more sense for the person doing the activity, you know, especially when they're doing a higher level activity. It's like the last thing you want to think about is consciously squeezing something or yeah. trying to leverage something. So if you can just passively, and two, like, with the way the body adapting to the environment, you know, if we think of dynamic systems theory, just like, let's put something in the environment that is going to have an effect on you. So that way you move a little bit different. Exactly. And that's probably the biggest difference, like the thinking aspect in terms of like learning something and then just straight out outputs. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, if, if, if you want an output, like successfully, maybe, in a specific task, like you want someone to be able to do something. Yeah. Provide constraints. So they're not like thinking about what they're doing. Exactly. Well, and to make it like unconscious, I guess, like that's, yeah, that's what I think a lot of people forget about. It's like, you know, you can pull your shoulders back all day, but like, is it really going to carry over into like an unconscious action? Yeah. And I guess, yeah, would you point. like to find that as like an adaptation? What uh, making it an unconscious yes. action? Hmm. Yes. From maybe a, like a neurological mm-hmm. perspective. Um, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm curious too, is like, you know, when we're just kind of riffing off of adaptations, but when I think of muscle, like neurological inputs and then like position of joints, right. And then the leverage that happens on a muscle, we're getting deep. <laughs> but okay. I'm just curious, like what you're like, how do you kind of sort through that? Like, okay, this muscle may not be getting a proper leverage because of the joint position. Yep. So I guess the question I'm trying to ask is like, how do you play around with like a constraint to then get a better like leverage of that muscle? Does that make sense? Yeah, I would probably say that's that's a great conversation. It's like, where do I want to take this a little bit? Yeah. I would say what joint ranges of motion is this person currently capable of? Um, so say we'll just shoulder flexion, right? Mm-hmm. And if I say, um, you know, right above their shoulder. So straight out and then right above and not beyond is what this person is, is capable of doing for that. You could, and this is again, a difficult thing of, do you really want to make that clear to your client? I I am kind of on the side right now where I I don't make that clear Mm -hmm. to them. Like, Hey, like you're, you're not able to raise your arm over your head. You're, you don't have that range of motion. I don't, I don't really like talking to people that way. So in terms of the, your reference, you would provide a constraint, like have something, if they're doing like a overhead pullback or something like that, have something behind them that cuts them off from going past that joint range of motion and stay within the range in which they're kind of currently capable of doing. And yeah, I would say anything kind of going beyond that, you're maybe asking them to go into a situation where they're, they're going to recruit something else to be able to perform that. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of joint position or muscle, excuse me, bone position affecting like muscles. Yeah, this is where like a, a good kind of in-depth understanding of anatomy um, and I credit like the Posture Restoration Institute a lot with, with this kind of information of, you know, when you hear someone who has tight hamstrings or you're teaching, this happened to me the other day, teaching, um, you know, a 16-year-old how to hip hinge. And I knew visually, it's like my, yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, like visually I could see it. I knew it was going on, but like, I'm not going to tell that individual instead. I asked her like, Hey, how'd that feel? Um, where'd you feel that? And of course, like she matched my visual alert representation was going on of like, Oh, I just felt like my hamstrings were pulling apart. Right. And mm-hmm. that's where I'm kind of taking information in. It's like, okay, 
the pelvis, right? If we change the position of the pelvis, um, if we, she was kind of like bending at the hips instead of like pushing the hips back. So this is after like months of working with this individual. Um, first, I would teach the stacked position and, you know, what that feels like first of like keeping the ribs on top of the hips. And the squat is what we focused on first, going straight down, straight up. And then I kind of wanted her to get the sense of keeping that stacked position, that like cylinder, and now moving it backwards in space, but not breaking that apart. Um, and that presented a difficult challenge for her. Um, but I, need, I think she needs to learn that first, then to be able to carry that out. But yeah, we made some changes. She got a lot better. Felt her glutes. Um, didn't feel this like extraordinary pull in her hamstring. Um, and so I think we got the tip, the, the hips um, back a little bit, like reposition mm -hmm. where the, the bones were, but also the execution part of that. Um, but yeah, thinking about joint position, especially proximally, kind of to round about your question, and then joint range of motion is going to allow us to be able to target muscles a lot better with the exercises that we select in the yeah. most roundabout way possible to answer that question. <laughs> well, in, you know, you made a post and it was saying like, allow the movement versus like squeezing mm. to get this activation. And I think that fits yeah. perfectly into, you know, the idea of using constraints. Cause I can't tell you how many clients back in the day where I was like, oh, get your lat. And I, you know, I would tap on their lats, like squeeze, just squeeze it as hard as you could. And mm -hmm. I think back and I'm like, were they actually using their lats for the movement or were they just squeezing the crap out of their lats the whole time? And That's they a great like, point. Right. And I just, yeah. I don't, I couldn't tell you, honestly. And, and well, if I think of joint position and all that, they probably weren't to some degree. It was probably some other like muscles kicking in and that's why they were having the problems initially. But yeah, I guess, you know, if you want to try to dive into your own quote, I just quoted, you, <laughs> you know, like allowing that. this movement to, to occur. Yeah. I think that was in reference to a chest fly. So someone's mm -hmm. laying on a bench, two dumbbells in their hand. Um, the dumbbells come out wide with their hands and back in. Now, this is something that I think goes into the realm of in, intent, right? Because if I have, uh, I mean, I don't, I mean, I think this example is terrible, but uh, I don't know, say <laughs> hypothetically, you have like a bodybuilder, right? Who wants to create hypertrophy in their, their, their pecs, right? Like you probably do want a lot of compression to be happening because that's what their goal is, right? To squeeze harder, like their whole body as a whole to move weights, they have to be good squeezers. And when they perform a chest fly, they're probably trying to squeeze those pec muscles. They're probably doing it at a very high weight. Um, but on the flip side of that, if your intent is movement, which I tried to specifically use that word, then I want to create some expansion to allow space to open up. And I would really choose the chest fly in a warm up routine with someone who I want them to take a breath of air in, allowing movement into their upper chest. And so the weight's going to be low. But again, if that individual, if that's my intent, I have to make sure I coach it in terms of inhale as you come out and be try to be relaxed not squeezing your pecs together and all tight allow your chest to open up and then come back in with that exhale um so i think it's just like a matter of what your intent is and making sure that if you're allowing movement to happen same thing as kind of maybe a hinge of like i don't want someone to squeeze their glutes i want them to probably inhale and feel like their backside opening up some people I work with feel like a little bit of a stretch sensation um, in their, their glutes, like performing like a trap bar deadlift and things like that. And it's, that's allowing them to kind of push back in space um, instead of, yeah, maybe that squeeze, which is probably going to push them forward a little bit. Right. Or lock them in a position and they exactly. use something else to get the movement to actually happen. For sure. For sure. If you're just squeezing your butt, like in a 
like a deadlift position, you're probably, your weight's probably forward, mm -hmm. right? And you're, you're probably going to initiate that movement from like a back coming up first or like a chest coming up first. Right. Or you see those people who deadlift with their knees super wide, not a sumo, but like just like externally rotated, like hips the whole way. I've seen some yeah, like interesting knees come out. Right. No, that's, it, it's hard too to think of this. I, I'm curious your definition of the term that the word movement and how you're talking about mm. that, right? Like if you could try to dive into that for everybody, because, you know, I think of movement, I just think of movement, right? But what does, what does that mean to you? That, wow, that is a very philosophical question. It's amazing. <laughs> um, I probably get it's funny how like your lens can kind of transform over time. I think overall I've been very highly influenced by the posture restoration Institute, like taking 12 courses, like they've changed my whole perspective on like anatomy and like how the body moves. And then I attended Bill Hartman's in intensive, which I highly um, encourage people to apply for. Um, and he then again, changed my, my whole idea of movement, but I never like to become something. So like, I'm, I'm never going to like dive into a school of thought and just become that school of thought. Mm -hmm. um, so I think my idea of movement maybe is like a blend of every, like everything. And when I hear movement, I, I think expansion. So like a space has to open up to allow um, uh joint range of motion to occur. I was trying not to say that word movement for the definition. <laughs> but um, so if, if I'm doing a hip hinge and I'm pushing my hips back, well, the backside of my hips need to create expansion and open up to allow that movement to occur backwards. Um, same thing for, you know, a, a press. Like if I have to, push my arm forward, areas of my body have to open up. If I need to be nice and still and restrict movement, it's going to be the opposite. I'm going to squeeze. I'm going to compress. Um, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm going to close space is what that is going to do. And um, I'm not saying that this is Bill Hartman's school of thought for sure not, but that's kind of like how I've I've really changed my maybe definition or how I view like all the movements that I, that I watch people do. Gotcha. I, because I, 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 I agree with that mindset because in the same way, like if I do, I guess a compound lift, that's the only, though it is a, still a movement, it's going to have mm -hmm. less movement to it in a way like <laughs> it's well and i guess i've been using terms like rotation and anti-rotation okay that makes sense yeah whereas like a compound lift you don't want a lot of rotation to occur because you're just trying to lift that weight in one direction whereas maybe i do an accessory movement that'll have more potential like rotation to it so like a split squat variation and with a cable constraint or something like that. We're trying to go, it's, it just has more rotation to it. Maybe specifically yeah. at one joint over the other. So like a freedom of movement. And yes, exactly. Right. So like if I, you're doing a cable chop, it's like you, you're probably a lot more relaxed. You're probably going into a lot more rotation as like that band. I'm assuming it's from a high to low position mm -hmm. coming across your body. You want like joints to turn over each other, like your upper body to like disassociate from your lower body. But when you're squatting, especially with heavy weights, you don't want that. You want to no. stay in a straight up, straight down position um, supporting that load on your body. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, if people use, um, different terminology for a lot of the same stuff. So if like, if that's what you're basically, we're probably could be talking about the exact same position, but you, you kind of say it in a different way. Right. I, but yeah, I mean, that makes sense. How I concept, how we conceptualize things in our own heads and trying to figure out what the heck is going on with the body. 
and watching, you know, people move. It's, it's, that's why I like the use of the constraints. And I, like I said, I feel like you do a really good job and you're posting all this stuff. I'm like, Oh man, that's fantastic. Like I want to use that. And this is, this looks really good and so much easier than me just telling someone I need you to do this. Right. Like yeah. I think that can just lead to so much frustration for both yes. you as the coach and the client or the person or your buddy that you're exercising with. Like it's just, it can be miserable. <laughs> yeah. And especially on like a personal training basis of like w- one, there's like two extremes. I, I either have young adolescents, excuse me, I shouldn't say young adolescents, but adolescents or adults and adult, like people want to pay for obviously a good experience, but also someone who they look forward to coming to see what they're going to have fun. Right. And some people don't like that nitty gritty that you're kind of referring to. And especially over time, maybe you do have a client who really enjoys that, but over time, you know, you, you create friendships with a lot of people that you're working with because they do enjoy being around you and having fun. You get to know each other's lives and you're having conversations why things are going on. It almost makes coaching easier if you are able to set someone up in a good position to allow them to execute it, but they can still kind of tell you about, you know, their, their kid's wedding that was like last weekend or something and not, not having them stop talking. Right. It's not all about the movement itself, which I mean, I think in some cases that is good, but it should be a portion of the time of a session, if you would, not every single exercise you're going into, but like you said, everyone's different in that way. Yeah. But I think having- Sorry, no, it's okay. It was just context specific, right? I think like some of the problem with, maybe I could probably do a better job of this of like Instagram is like, there's no context to it, right? right? And like everyone sees like these fancy coaches on like, you know, taped outside of, yeah, sessions. Not like a lot of people tape what's going on with the client because, well, I know my clients wouldn't like that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's like perfect setup and they're explaining a ton of things. And like their demo person is always a trainer who has a good relationship and awareness of their body and makes it look so easy. And you're just like, well, why am I so dumb? Like, why can't I do that with your client? Meanwhile, you go to your session and they're talking about their dog and like this and that, and like, you can't get them to listen to you. And, you know, it's like there's idealism and reality. And we need to make sure that a lot of these things can fit into our reality. And kind of like the point that you're referring to is like constraints can really bridge that gap in a way well it, it just meets the person where they're at yeah that's yeah well it, it's i don't we can go on and on probably about constraints but uh, i'm curious like what are some of your favorite tools that you're using right now like obviously like heel wedges are fantastic like everyone uses those but do you have any other like little tricks that you've been playing with oh my goodness um what am I bringing out constantly? Putting you on the spot. I know. I wish I <laughs> could think of this. It's always like. You need to look at the gym floor right now. What's doing? <laughs> like, oh, um, yeah. Uh, geez, you're killing me with that one. Um, Do you try, truly use yeah. the, um, what's the strap that you put around the shoulder and it wraps around the whole body? what's it strap that's that's actually the name that was what's it strap yeah Yeah, i think it's like what's that strap is the actual name of the company do you use that quite often i honestly don't use it as much as i thought i was gonna use it to be honest with you (laughs) i was curious Um, i see it i see it especially like with all the people that post about golf stuff everyone's like you need this and they like sit there and rotate with it all the time i'm like i don't know it's it's a piece of equipment that's probably not necessary. Um, it's just, yeah, of course you can like wrap it around someone and create like a rotational like resistance. You mm-hmm. can probably do that with a lot of other things. Um, right. A piece of equipment that I own that I pretty much use every session is the anchor cable trainer. Okay. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, okay. if you don't mind kind of explaining what that looks like a little bit. Yeah. So the anchor trainer is a basically when I first started working for myself, I rent space from a local gym 
And the thing that I use a lot is a cable, you know, of mm-hmm. course, that's a huge thing in, in my, my training. And I was looking at what they, you know, had to offer out there. And there was very expensive, very heavy, huge space filling cable trainers, like with stacks with weights, you know, the Kaiser, which was way out of my price range. Oh, yeah. But then also I was working at a CrossFit gym and he was like, hey, like, I don't, I don't really want like a huge piece of equipment here. Mm-hmm. And then I got introduced to the cable trainer and it's literally, man, it's probably 30, 40 pounds, the size of maybe my forearm um, where there's different mounts. So you can actually make it a sliding mount on the wall. Um, I have the one where it's a little bit of maybe a magnet and then like it straps around any pole. I brought it out onto like fields and put it around like, you know, a goalpost and it's worked magically. Yeah. I put it on racks um, in the gym, um, in my, you know, apartment complex gym, I'll put it around something. um, And you, there's like adjustable weights on the side. Um, I've loved it just because it's super mobile. It was in my price range and it works really effectively for what I do with, yeah. um, with my people. And that's something that I'll put like the, what's that strap on mm-hmm. give some resistance. Would you say you use a lot of like majority of the, do you spend a lot of time at the cable rack in general? <laughs> uh, I mean, it depends. Like if I have it, like I'll use it. Like I, mm-hmm. I have access to like a few facilities, but, but not, no, not. Not really. I don't, I feel like once you kind of go down this rabbit hole, I found that when I was programming and even for myself, I was like, man, I'm just using cables. Like 50% of the time I'm at the gym, like trying to doing all this split squat variations. And I was like, I need to get away from this. I'm just tired of using cables. They're like getting on my nerves. Yeah. Um, you're probably, everyone's like, oh, he's hogging the cable system. Oh, so much. Seriously. Uh, it was bad, but because it, it like, I go to crunch fitness and there's only these two little cable stations. And then, you know, they got the big rig over here. And so uh-huh. I would just sit on one of the cable stations forever. Like, That's amazing. Just, just post up, you know, got my water and everything, but I think right now, like I don't have access to one. So if I saw like a stack, like cable, I would be mm-hmm. like, okay, like, what can I do with this? Because like, I'm going to take this all in, you know? Yeah. You got to be able to do it, whatever you can. I know they're, <laughs> Those Kaisers are something else. Those are interesting. I don't know if I like them as yeah. much as just like a typical weighted. So I actually trained for two years at the old Functional Patterns headquarters. Oh, yeah, very fancy. And that was in Seattle. It was a super nice little like setup they had there. But they had I think like six Kaisers, just everywhere. I mean, that's wow. like their staple is like using cables, and I mean it was a crazy piece of machine. Like you have to like pump it up and it makes all this noise. And I was like, geez, this is nuts. But <laughs> Yeah. There's, there's, it's hard because with one of those things, like the calibration really needs to be on point. Like, right. you know, over time, like how do you actually know that you're lifting, you know, 30 pounds of pressure? Like right. it could, it could change. Right. Where it's like a stack. It's like, you know, you're lifting 30 pounds. The one thing I do enjoy with those is like resistance on the way back. So it's not like a typical cable mm-hmm. where like, you know, you pull it down and it just like flings you back. Like the cable, uh, the cars are super smooth and resists you like on the way back as well. Um, I, the last place I worked had a Kaiser leg press. Ooh. And I mean, of course the, the price is like, Insane. too much for me but i swear if i had enough money that's what i would get because of course you can adjust the pressure and i have you know access to a leg press here and like you push out and it like is zero resistance on the way back it almost mm. just like slings you back in like at that top position it's like you don't even have any control of it in, in some ways the leg press was like smooth resistance out smooth resistance in so you could do like heavy eccentrics on the way back Hmm. and then also make it really light so you could do like speed and power reps without having that kind of uncontrolled feeling at the end gotcha that would be super versatile 
Yes. I mean, right. that's, I would say it's the worth the price of admission, but I don't, I don't know if I can, right. I can truly say that if I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, and you know, if you look at some of these people again, like functional patterns, they'll say that, that, that is more functional to have that type of like a pressure system and yes. all that. I don't know. I don't really subscribe to that. And I don't know if you do, but it's, yeah. It's, it's all language, right? It's all branding. It's all marketing, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And anyways, <laughs> it's not no. all bad, but yeah, you just have to kind of keep that in mind. You know, exactly. it's like, I feel like that's where my head has gone. And a lot of like my learning has kind of adapted to, um, but it's just funny. Cause you could, so people could say the exact same thing. Like I just said prior and you just have different like words that you use because you want to be special and with the people you work with you want to have a unique language maybe and that makes you stand out so exactly I always I always just think of things like that when I when I hear stuff it's marketing and fitness is not (laughs) I don't enjoy the combination yes (laughs) anymore especially like going through because well one I, I was such a sucker for so much of it myself, like going through, I was like, Oh, I need this. I need that. I need that program. <laughs> I need that certification because that's going to just set me up and I'm going to be the best of the best. And then it's like, you get to a point where you take so many courses and it's like, what do you even call this anymore? Like, it's still, it's still a human body. Mm-hmm. At the end, It's of the more day. so just, yeah, exactly. It's like, it's just like everything in life, right? You could relate this to yeah. A lot of things like politics so on and so forth of like if you're so deeply ingrained into one thing that's a problem right like in, in my in my opinion um but then if you're too far out in space where like nothing matters and nothing makes sense and you have no idea what to do you're also in trouble so it's the same thing in fitness of like i want to dive down too deep in something but then I would have, you know, something that you can latch on for your values and to guide you. Um, so both are kind of dangerous. Right. What do you think about, and this is, this is a woo-woo question, if you would, but someone's thoughts and beliefs displaying themselves through movement. You know, I, I find oh that, gosh. I know, right? <laughs> well, I find that, you know, I watch because I'm sure you've seen hundreds and hundreds of people move and how they move. And then the personality that's behind that person. And there's small little common things that you notice. And it's like, man, like, is this person, they're so still, especially from like a PT setting, like I'll work on a patient and I'm just like, man, this guy is the stiffest person in the world. And talking to them is the same way. And I'm like, stretching them out or something like the first time their glute has actually felt any stretch in 20 years and I can hardly talk to the guy I'm like okay this is awkward but but (laughs) I'm just curious like what your opinion is on that like I I think that's very anecdotal maybe on my part but if you've seen anything similar yeah I think everything is connected I think um, there's much deeper things and strange things to us that we can't even begin to understand about ourselves. Um, I think restrictive thoughts can lead to restricted physical symptoms or expressions and vice versa. Um, I mean, I, I remember an experience I had, um, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I'm, Mike T. Nelson, thank you, um, did a, I think it was an RPR session with me when I was at Ben House's um, retreat. And like, I just remember, I didn't realize I was doing it. He pointed it out to me, like staring at the ground all the time and just kind of restricted in my movement. And, um, I went through the session and the colors visually changed for me. Like I could see things much more peripherally. Everything was brighter. Um, I instantly had a smile on my face and everyone was pointing this out to me. Like, I wasn't like really aware of it at that time. And my walking just instantly changed my mood. So it's, I think everything's kind of connected. Um, And it just depends on like what point of intervention that you kind of have access to could probably change a lot of other things in in someone's life. Yeah, totally. 
I think in some cases, like just it, it, it's hard too because if you have someone like say who's in that case, and it's like, well, go outside and walk. Mm-hmm. Like, is that really a good beneficial recommendation? Like, still probably in a shit mood and still probably going <laughs> to stare at the ground to some degree. It, it's it's a tough. I think changing the environment can help with a lot of that, but it's. I think there's specific interventions that you can apply, which now we're at the end of the show. And it's like, we're not going to talk about these, but I know, right. Um, until uh, next we should time. definitely, <laughs> we should definitely do this again. I'm, we probably should have done it at like a point where we um, could have more time to expand, but yeah, even someone going for a walk and just saying, look at the horizon on, right. on the trees or like glance around you once in a while. Um, mm-hmm. A person I would highly recommend that people kind of get into, which is hard to say because it doesn't really put that much stuff out, um, is Seth Oberst. Um, he kind of dives deep into a lot of the stuff, as, as you're aware. Um, and he's a he's a kind of great point of reference for innovations on a somatic sense that can relate to people's past experiences. Um, so he's just like an interesting exploration, probably into that very specific question. Right. No, I, I've seen a lot of, I actually really enjoy your all's posts, like your Zach's, um, Lucy Hendricks, like you all kind of talked to him for a while and then yeah. he's, stopped, he's disappeared. I don't know what's happened to him. Like, <laughs> he's, I'm going to reach out and see if we'll get on the show. Like, you should, you should. He's yeah. such, he's a good friend. Um, he's actually going to speak at the seminar I'm putting together, the Boston Hilton Performance Summit in June in Boston. He's going to be there for a speaker and I, I think I suckered him into it, but yeah, go. he's just, he's not like, a, like, I don't know, public outputting is probably not like a big priority for him, but like, I'm slowly, mm-hmm. I'm slowly going to get him to do that, Kyle. There you go. Slowly. Well, <laughs> thank you so much, Michelle, for doing this. Um, again, sorry, people, for not going into full detail on that last question. And, but well, like I said, we have to listen in next time. But no, um, if you want to hit us with, you know, where to reach you, if you would like to be found, and we'll call it there. Perfect. Yeah. So I post a lot of stuff on Instagram. Uh, that's at dr.michellebolin. And then my website's pretty easy. It's michellebolin-training.com. Uh, those are probably two like best avenues. You can definitely get in contact with me, but honestly, thank you so much, Kyle. Like this was super easy, fun. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you probably for the next three to four hours. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to plug in for you, your own exercise database definitely check that out i have it it has been amazing i really like using that um, and it's definitely shortened up my my own programming because that can be a, a long tedious process at times yes exactly <sighs> if you're if you're a coach listening to this but, but no thank you so much for coming on and we'll see you next time yeah thanks guys